We've gathered together today for the purpose of glorifying the name of our Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the word that he's delivered. And we have said repeatedly in that particular song that we are glorifying the name of our Creator, and we're thankful for your presence in joining with us to glorify the name of our great and glorious God. All we're talking about today is that very purpose, is what it means to worship our God and to glorify his name and to be obedient to his cause. And I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 19, where we're going to read together a series of verses in just a moment or two. As Brother Bill said, it is good to have so many visitors with us, individuals who are traveling We have a number of individuals who are gone traveling away from us, and we miss them, but we're glad to see you here over the course of our time together uh, today. It's good also to have some of our members back who have been away for a number of weeks. We're glad that they are reunited with us, and we're thankful for our visitors and for the kindness that you're showing to us and the encouragement that you provide to us. The title of the sermon this morning, Considerations of Worship. You could also title it Considerations for Worship. The idea being that when we come together on occasions like this to worship our God, to glorify his name, it ought not be an afterthought. It ought not be something that we just do because it's checking the box and it's what we do every Lord's Day when we come together for this particular purpose. And I'm wanting to use this particular text in the book of Exodus, which I think is very appropriate, because even though this is not talking about a church service or the worship of God in the terms of a New Testament church, because it's some 3,000 to 3,500 years ago, it is, I believe, a text that helps us to appreciate what it means to be ready for our worship. And so if you would read with me in Exodus chapter 19, this is preceding the most familiar chapter or one of the most familiar chapters in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, where we see the iteration of the Ten Commandments. But here as the children of Israel are gathered at Sinai, we find here in chapter 19 and verse 10 that the Lord says to Moses the following, he says, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow And let them wash their clothes. Let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord's going to come down upon the Mount of Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So, verse 14, Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And they said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. The sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely, was, was completely in smoke, because the Lord descended 
it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. When the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And one more verse, verse 21, says, The Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. You can imagine what this scene must have looked like, uh, perhaps what it sounded like, perhaps even what it smelled like with all of that fire and smoke. Certainly a profound experience where they were coming together, where God was going to, quote, meet with the people and direct them in the ways that they were to live. Chapter 19 is a what we might call pivotal chapter because it serves as the beginning of the second section of the book of Exodus. Even though chapter 20 may be seen as the dividing line of the 40 chapters of Exodus, by the time you get to chapters 18, 19, and 20, you have a transition to this post-Exodus period. And one of the things that we need to understand and a good application for us is that our Lord God Jehovah is still in the process of being introduced, or I put in parentheses, even reintroduced to the people. Because there had been a long time had gone on where they had been in Egypt, where they were without God, or at least they thought they were without God. God knew what was going on the entire time. But of course, he delivers them by the hands of Moses, by the hands of his great and loving care. And it seems to me that the rules for Old Testament worship were designed in part to help those of us who worship in the New Testament. Romans 15 verse 4 is a verse that we quote quite often that the things written before were written for our learning. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says these things happened as examples for our admonition and for our learning. And Hebrews chapter 8 seems to talk about that shadow of the things to come to help us to understand what worship is all about. But one of the things that I think we need to do, and this is what the goal and the real thrust of our study together today, is to appreciate that the things found in Exodus 19 are very applicable to us today. Maybe not so much in the details. Maybe not so much in gathering at a mountain. Maybe not because the earth is going to quake when we come together to worship God in this building. But I believe that there are three key things that are necessary or important or are a must in order for us to worship God acceptably. And these are things that we need to consider. So that gives us back to our introduction on considerations of worship. Number one, one of the things that I get out of this particular text is that preparation is necessary when we come together to worship our God. Go back to the text and note, if you would, some of the details of God's instructions. In verse 10, he says, consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothes. Now, this was in an era where you only had maybe a change of garments, one or two. And you didn't have 17 different outfits to wear to services or whatever the case may be. And so this preparation was going to be a symbolic way of saying and reminding to yourself, 
I'm getting ready to do something that is important. Some of you may lay out your clothes for literally for Sunday morning worship. If you're going to wear something special, you're choosing your color, or you're going to match your spouse or whatever the case may be. And that is probably a good thing to think, what am I going to wear? Not so much that the clothing itself matters, though there is something to be said, certainly for modesty and something for we are coming together to worship and maybe we should have something maybe a little better than our average daily wear. And I think we understand those principles. But just as a reminder that I'm going to worship my God and I'm going to think about the seriousness of what I am about to do, it requires some preparation. In fact, there are, it seems to be, three days of preparation associated with this particular appearance before the mountain of Sinai here in verse 11. Note, if you would, just two or three key observations. One of those is this, that preparation requires time and thinking ahead. I talked about this a few months ago, and I have a friend of mine who kind of really talked about this idea that it's Friday, but Sunday is coming. And the whole idea behind that little uh, slogan is the idea that by the time you get to Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, there ought to be this anticipation of the Lord's Day that is about to come. In many ways, you can make the argument that when you get up tomorrow, you could say, well, it's Monday. It's only six days until the next Lord's Day when I get to gather with my people and gather to worship my God. Granted, we have Wednesday night Bible study, but we do not commune with one another in the way that we do on, a, on the Lord's Day. And that is a day that we come together to worship our God, the Lord's day, and give him the honor that he is due. Glorify thy name, glorify thy name. In all things, we will glorify his name. Let me suggest to you, secondly, that when it comes to preparation, preparation requires effort. Remember, if you would, the absence of technology and the absence of a change of clothes some 3,500 years ago. These people washing their clothes did not go to their laundry room to do so or to a laundromat to provide that particular task. They went down to the pond or down to the river or whatever the case may have been, and they washed their clothes and they spent hours doing so. And this is in an era where you have larger families. And so we, as men and women, sometimes complain about doing laundry today, especially if you've got two or three children or four children. Sometimes you lose track of how many children you even have. But the fact is, is Moms back in 3,500 years ago had this task of washing all the clothes, getting everybody ready for worship. So we think we've got it difficult today. Can you imagine how difficult it must have been three and a half millennia ago? But thirdly, the actions required by God, it seems to me, signify something very special is about to happen. If you like underlining things in your Bible, go back to verse 15 and look at the very first part. He says to the people, what does he say? He says, be ready. Don't let Sunday catch you off guard. Don't let the Lord's day come as a surprise. Now, I understand that we get busy in our week and you say, is it Thursday already? Is it Friday already? Sometimes you say Monday. Is it Friday yet? But we get to a place where we get so busy and tied up with everything going on that we sometimes lose sight of the fact that the Lord's day is coming. 
Maybe we need to set those reminders in our phones, in our Google calendars on Thursday or Friday to say only two days left until the Lord's Day. Just as a reminder that I've got to get my mind ready because preparation is important. Secondly, in our list of three things that we're talking about, let me suggest to you that propriety is not only uh preparation, but also propriety is important. There's a proper way of worshiping our God. We are to do all things decently and in order to borrow from the Apostle Paul's words to the church at Corinth. Now, I do think it is important for us to understand, especially in a world wherein so many religious groups are tied up in ritualistic formal, formal uh, religion worship of God, that we don't get caught up in a too stuffy of a religious practice. We don't come here with straight faces. We're here to worship God. We don't talk to anybody, and we're just going to sit here and worship God. And when the priest says whatever he says, you repeat it, and you check that box. That's not what we're looking for, and that's not what we're talking about with propriety. But the same thing is true that when you think about this, no organization, nor no, no forethought is equally inappropriate and wrong. And so we have every month, one of our deacons who works very hard behind the scenes puts together a list of who's going to do what, when, and where, and on what day. And we, as members, sometimes take that kind of thing for granted that so-and-so is going to say some appropriate words before the Lord's Supper and appreciate Josh's efforts this morning. So-and-so is going to lead singing. Brother Phil's done a nice job of incorporating songs about worshiping our God together today. But those things take time and take preparation and are a part of the propriety that we are stressing here. Let me suggest to you three or four key observations as we think about proper worship our God. Number one, Moses was told to put limits in place that restricted the people's activity. Now, this was for their physical well-being as well as their spiritual well-being. But in verse 12, he says, you shall set bounds or boundaries because if someone touches the mountain, whether it be a human being or it be an animal, they will be put to death. Bad things are going to happen. There are rules and regulations for when we come together to worship our God, some of which are traditions that come from the apostles themselves. Some are traditions that we have set as our elders have said, this is how many songs we're going to sing or this is when we are going to collectively pray, whatever the case may be. And we understand that that kind of direction is necessary in order for us to be engaged in appropriate, proper worship. Let me suggest to you that another application for us early on goes to verse 13. And that is, even though there are no physical boundaries in this building, and this building itself is not sacred, it's just a place that we've been blessed with, and, and, and God has richly blessed us with a place to worship and comfort. But there are serious penalties for crossing the line. He says, not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow, whether it be man or whether it beast, he shall not live. Referring back to the one who crosses those boundaries as, as litigated in verse 12. This is right for application for us, right? 
and the idea that when it comes to worshiping God, we do so by singing praises to him, not by playing instruments. We do so by having reverent worship with songs that are spiritual and not songs that are worldly. We do not come together to uh, sing happy birthday to one another or sing the happy anniversary song or whatever the case may be, as some churches do. We come together to worship our God because it's the proper and right thing for us to do. Let me suggest thirdly that God saw fit to warn the people about the proper nature of worship. Go back to verse 21, that last verse that we read. Go down, and if you want to underline the word warn, warn the people lest they break through the gaze of the Lord and many of them perish. We ought not come together on an occasion like this and be fearful in the sense that I hope I don't do something wrong. Granted, we've got traditions that come from the apostles, and we've got parameters that come from our shepherds that help us to understand what is appropriate. But at the same time, there needs to be a healthy concern for, I'm going to services tomorrow morning on a Saturday as you're talking, and I want to make sure that I do things the way that the Lord wants me to do because he is as righteous, and I want to glorify his name as possible. And then fourthly, the people reacted with a sense of respect and a fear at the seriousness of proper worship. And the same should be true for us as well, that the way that we come together on the Lord's Day should be seen with seriousness, should be seen with appropriateness, and should be seen with a sense of ultimate propriety. So we need to prepare ourselves for worship, we need to be engaged in proper worship, And then perhaps one of the most important things is the third and the final thing, and that is we need to make sure that we ourselves are pure in coming before our God. And that's one of the things that is not the responsibility of the shepherds, though they can help with that. That is not something that someone else does, though that they can encourage you. This is something that is very individual in your own effort to be pure before our God. When you think about worship of God, it can be thought of from three different vantage points. And really, those are all appropriate. One is that we come together to focus on God. That's the ultimate thing that we're doing today, is we are focusing on God. He's the object of our worship. That's what we've come together to do. When someone says, why do you go to church services on Sunday? Uh, Why do you go every Lord's Day? Why is it so important to you? The first thing out of your mouth needs to be because I'm there to worship my God. I'm here to worship the Creator. That's why I'm here. Now, there are other benefits to coming together today and other purposes for coming together today, but I'm here to worship God. I'm here to worship my creator. But the second thing is I'm here to focus on others. Now, that's, that's, that's not paramount. That's just a, a subsequent thing that we do because this is mutual participation. In fact, Colossians 3.16, Ephesians 5.19, a number of other New Testament passages suggest that there's a relationship that we have with one another as brothers and sisters of Christ that brethren in Acts chapter 2 came together and they mutually participated in the worship of God and also in the benefit building up of one another. And then the third thing that we can think about is the idea is I'm going to focus on myself, not in a self, uh, selfish way, but in a way that I'm going to personally examine myself. 
In fact, we've already done that today, right? We should have. When we partook of the Lord's Supper, let a man so examine himself, Paul says, to see where he stands in relationship with God, paraphrasing 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And so we are doing all these things as we worship God. Even as we're listening to a sermon, we're digesting it, but we're thinking, okay, how does this help me focus myself on God? How can I help my brethren be encouraged? And how can I make myself be stronger in service to God? Consider, if you would, the teachings about this third vantage point in the text. It says here in verse 10 that Moses was to consecrate the people. What does that word mean? We, we are good Bible students, and we have so many people who are good Bible students that could share this with you, but it's the idea of sanctification, hallowing, dedicating, separating, making it something that is different, And it seems to me that it's the idea of cleaning up in some way. And that's why the idea of the washing of the clothes. God can be worshipped with dirty clothes. But the idea was, is cleaning yourself up, making yourself look more presentable. And having those clean garments would have served as a reminder that in an era where you did not take a bath as often as we do in the 21st century, and in an era where you did not clean your clothes as often as we do with an easy washing machine and and dryer, that this is a big deal. This is something that is important for us to be engaged in because purity is a must. Let me suggest also that Moses here, by way of God's commandments, prohibited relationships between the men and the women. Do not come near your wives, verse 15, part 2. Now, this is in many ways what I would call a ceremonial command, uh, but it was one, again, to serve as a big reminder. In an era where there were, uh, at a time where you had regular relationships between husbands and wives, and there is a prohibition on that, that's going to serve as, well, wait a minute, why are we doing this? Oh, yes, we are here to worship our God. While all of these do not parallel over and translate to New Testament Christianity, you see where Exodus 19 is very pertinent to the way that we worship our God and the way that we prepare, how we are proper, and how we are pure before our God. More on that purity here as we close in just the next few moments. I wanted us to close with this, and that is what about our worship? And let's make all these things come closer home to us in the final moments that we have together today. I believe that it would be short-sighted to think that the principles outlined in the Sinai worship were merely historical. And I think we as a congregation do a decent job of remembering that. That's why we, every Wednesday evening, come together to study the Old Testament. And that's because, whether it be in the book of Exodus a few months ago, or the book of Proverbs just a few weeks back, or in the book of Judges as we're wrapping up our study, these are things that are applicable to us and help us to understand why we are doing what we're doing today. And I appreciate our brother reading uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, but verse 11 and its entire context is, as brother Jonathan uh, uh, reminded us, is about the disastrous behavior of the people that reminds us of the ways in which we are not 
to live. Much of the Bible is all the ugliness that we are not to repeat, but it is also the good things that we are to repeat. And we are to learn from those examples so that we can be stronger in service to God. What I wanted us to do is to take note of three examples of how Christians today worship our God as delineated by the things that Moses shared with these people so many years ago. And we'll close with these three. Number one is that worship services should never be an afterthought, nor should they ever be a surprise. And let me go a little bit further. That is, there should never be, and I know I'm talking to the proverbial choir here, but there should never be a discussion on Saturday as to whether or not we're going to worship services tomorrow. A family should never have a discussion, well, are we going to services this coming Lord's Day or not? It should be automatic. Now, not automatic in a sense of ritual checking the box, but because worship of God is so important, we go every Lord's Day to worship our God. It should not be an afterthought. It should not be a surprise because preparation requires thinking ahead. Those of you that have two or three or four or five children, you understand you have to literally prepare for the Lord's Day because you got to get everything lined up for Sunday morning in order to be here on time. Those of you who uh, don't have children still have the responsibility of saying, I've got to get things lined up, got to get things ready because the Lord's Day is coming soon. That preparation requires your effort and requires my effort as well. And that's one of the reasons why individuals will not, on a frequent basis, attend church services and worship of God, because it does require effort. And it's the kind of thing that you say, well, I I don't want to put forth that effort. And then a third aspect of this is that preparation signifies that something big is about to happen. When you either lay out your clothes or you think about your clothing or you read the text for Bible class the next uh, Lord's Day, whatever the case may be, however you go about preparing, it may be literally you writing the check for your contribution or laying out your dollar bills or whatever you're going to do. It may be laying out your Bible ready to, to take with you the next morning. Something big is about to happen and it's exciting. I'm going to worship my God tomorrow or in two days or three days, depending on whatever day you're preparing for that. Let me suggest to you that secondly, that the worship of God is serious and should be taken seriously. We should, and again, not be too stuffy, ritualistic, or whatever the case may be, but we should enjoy spending time with Christians and the company that provides. And I don't think that we struggle with that too much because this is a group that enjoys talking with one another. And when you see someone that you haven't seen in four weeks, you're excited to see them. When you see someone that you haven't seen in three or four days, you're excited to see them. That is important. But don't get so focused on one another that we lose sight of the real reason that we're here and that is our God. We are here to remember that our focus is on God. I remember years ago, I was at a a congregation guest preaching uh, in a different state, and um, 
one of the elders got up right before the actual beginning of services. It was in between Bible class and worship services. And it, it was a little loud that day. And people were excited to see one another, and which is fine. And loud is, is okay from time to time as well. It may, may have gotten a little bit too loud and a little bit uh, too raucous for a church environment. But the elders got up very calmly and he says, ladies and gentlemen, he says, we're going to begin our worship in just a couple moments. This is before the person that leads the opening prayer says, I just want to remind you that we're getting ready to worship our God. And it's one of those sobering moments that I never forgot because we were all excited about seeing one another. And he just said, just remember, this is why we're here today. Just get the focus where it needs to be. And whether that be lights turning out or whether that be the beginning comments that Brother Bill uh, shared with us this morning and appreciate those comments so much, we need to remember we are here to worship our God. It is a serious and a big thing. And then thirdly and finally, I shouldn't be worshiping God while allowing myself to be unclean. And that goes back to the purity thing. Now you say, well, I, I took a bath before I came today. That's not what we're talking about. I, I wore clean clothes today. That's not what we're talking about either. We're talking about having pure hearts, clean conscience. Jesus taught on this. And I want to look at one final passage in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 23. Now there's something to be said about the idea of temple worship. Uh, not worshiping the temple, but worshiping in the temple as outlined in, uh, the, in the Jewish dispensation. But I think it translates in the way that we uh, come together and operate today. He says, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And I think that the application, I think it's appropriate to flip that around, that if you yourself come to the altar, even though we don't have a physical altar today, we are are coming together to worship our God, and I've got something wrong or amiss in my life, I need to make sure that I take care of that before I worship my God. It may be that Saturday evening, as you're thinking about the hours to come for Sunday morning, you think, hmm, this week I've really struggled with X, Y, or Z. And I need to pray about that. And I need to make sure that my heart is right, my conscience is clean, and that I'm ready to move forward into the Lord's day with a, with a pure heart. It also reminded me years ago of someone who made a very good point. He says, why do we, at the outset of our services, oftentimes in prayer, and rightly so, say, forgive us of our sins. Well, it's because we want to have clean conscience. We want our sins forgiven as we go to worship God. And then sometimes at the conclusion of services, someone says, forgive us of our sins. And someone once pointed out that that may be not appropriate. I think that it's wholly appropriate, W-H-O-L-L-Y, appropriate. Because it could be that something that was said, it could be that something that was done, it could be something that was preached or a song that was spoken, that in the course of the hour and a half that you're here, you thought of something and say, ah, that's something I need to work on. I need forgiveness of that going forward. And so I think it's appropriate for us to constantly be saying, please, not out of a sense of obligation, forgive me of my sins, just so I can get that in my prayer, but forgive me of the things I've done wrong. 
even things that maybe I've thought of over the course of the hour and a half that I've been in the presence of my brethren together today. We must be careful not to think that coming to church, and I put that in quotes because that's the phrase that we use, will fix the sin in my life. Life would be a whole lot easier. Salvation would be much more attainable if that's all that it took. But it requires our individual responsibility of being pure and making sure that we are right in our service to God. This is a big day. And seven days from today will be a big day as well. Each time we come together, it's the Lord's day. So tomorrow, be thinking, six days to go, and the Lord's day will be here. And then by Tuesday and Wednesday, while it's getting close, I've got to make sure that I'm prepared. I've got to make sure that I'm proper. I've got to make sure that I'm pure in order for the purpose of worshiping my God. If you are not pure this morning, we're not talking about pure in the sense of sinless, because if that's the case, then only Jesus is the one that we're talking about. But we are men and women of fault who make mistakes, uh, have regrets, and as Brother John talked about this morning with the case of Judas, even had remorse. But we can be redeemed and we can be cleansed from our sins, and we are welcoming the opportunity to assist any and all in that process today of coming to Christ. Whether that be becoming a Christian this morning by having your sins washed away, as is taught in Acts 2.38, 1 Peter 3.21, Mark 16.16, and a host of other passages. Be baptized and have your sins washed away. Or if you've done that and you're not living correctly and you need to make some sort of change to be proper, to be prepared, and to be pure. We would welcome the opportunity to pray for you and to pray with you. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing at this time.